Lowry on the way. Good! Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has a rocket! Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro Pod, a Thanksgiving week edition, and I am thankful for many things for you, for everyone who listens and subscribes to the Fear the Fro podcast early on in this 2022-2023 season for a three-game winning streak where the Cavaliers have now ripped off three consecutive home victories and with the exception of the Charlotte double overtime thriller, these have been resounding victories as they made short work of a Jimmy Butlerless Miami Heat and then dusted off the Atlanta Hawks in the fourth quarter in what was an ugly, turnover-ridden game but saw some outstanding individual performances. Now, if there's anything we can take away from these last two games, it's that despite Levert going down with an injury, we are seeing the best play that we've seen perhaps all season out of Lamar Stevens and Chetty Osmond. Now, maybe not Osmond. Osmond did start out thriving, but these last two games for him have been a reawakening after seeming to tail off a bit. And tonight was Osmond's night, 80% from the field. Shot 8 for 10, chipped in 23 points. Not the leading score. That, of course, as usual, goes to the backcourt tandem. Donovan Mitchell with 29, Darius Garland with 26, and the backcourt combines for 55 points, 18 rebounds, half a dozen, Baker's dozen, okay, 11 turnovers. That part was ugly. But it should be pointed out that despite the Cavs turning the ball over as if everybody out there on the court was drunk, 19 turnovers for them. The Hawks were pretty egregious themselves. 10 turnovers between DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. Now let's look at these two teams because this is certainly the matchup that seems to be growing in importance. In the LeBron era, we had that stretch where we took on the Wizards and Gilbert Arenas and Deshaun Stevenson. And then, of course, there was the Raptors era, LeBronto. And now we come into this era where two young teams led by superstar point guards, two of the best floaters in the game between Trey Young and Darius Garland, seem to be on a collision course that will meet up year after year. Now, Trey Young tonight was the leading scorer for the Hawks and had several great moments. His floater is deadly. The way he's able to get it up over our shot blockers, his control of pace, his ability to draw whistles, it's infuriating at times. In three minutes, he got three fouls, on Isaac Okoro, who immediately had to sit down, and we did not see much of him this evening. And two of the fouls, of the four personal fouls Isaac had on him, two of them were the baity, nonsense, trick-the-ref stuff that Trey Young does. A rip-through move, where he was facing the sideline, and then coming in on an inbound, he just hooked Isaac's hand, pulled it into his body, Isaac tried to get it free, and they called a foul on him. So, Trey Young with his usual Trey Young nonsense. But, you shouldn't feel bad. One, we got the W. Two, Trey Young stunk it up tonight from outside. So for as effective as he was at getting some nonsense calls, he didn't get to the line an insane amount. Just six free throw attempts, and he missed two of them. So all don't lie, at least twice. And in the end, his backcourt running mate, who was one of the first big acquisitions of the offseason in DeJounte Murray, struggled mightily. 
at the hands of Lamar Stevens, who shut him down for a gigantic portion of the game. Murray finishing just four for 17 from the floor, a miserable 24%. And when you look at these two teams, there was a drastic departure. The fact that this game was as tight as it was really is just a testament to the fact that the Cleveland Cavaliers turned the ball over far too much. 19 turnovers, eight of which came from Darius Garland, but they shot excellent, 60% from the floor and 53% from three-point land. Osmond was great. Garland was great. Mitchell was great. They all provided huge scoring nights when we needed them. And Kevin Love, tip of the cap for even being out there on the floor. Played just 10 minutes, but he's playing through that hairline fracture in his shooting hand finger. So no points from him. Uh, but Lamar Stevens played excellent defense. Mobley and Allen statistically don't look they, like they had very loud nights, but they did their work where they needed to, which was on the glass. 20 rebounds between the two of them and only 11 shot attempts between the two of them. So not guys who had plays called for them very frequently tonight, but still a serviceable night for Evan. 10 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and nearly a double-double for Jarrett, but he came up a little short in the points department. The story, as usual, it almost gets to the point where during these games, I find myself clinging to the ancillary storylines, which in this game were Osman, Stevens, and even a little spurt from Robin Lopez there in the first half. Another couple of his patented start from the waist hooks and I liked what we saw out of him I've always I'm a fan of course just of his general demeanor but I thought he gave an excellent shift uh, in the first half and the Hawks despite a good second quarter from Onyeka Nkongwu who had a double double of his own 18 points 10 rebounds they didn't get much else from the stars on their team Collins was okay but he made plenty of mistakes and he committed some really terrible fouls at terrible times. Clint Capella, not much outside of the rebounding department that he did. And A.J. Griffin, I've said, I've professed how much I like this kid. Between him going to Atlanta and Shaden Sharp going to Portland, we're getting to see two games back-to-back here that feature some of the rookies that I like the most. And they've both been very impactful right out of the gate. The first thing that really jumped out to me was when the Hawks beat the Bucks without Trey Young. and. He was huge, instrumental in the late part of that game, scoring 24 points. Then, just this past weekend, he hit the game-winning shot against the Toronto Raptors on what was possibly the worst defense imaginable. It looked like he was just kind of lurking in the sideline, and Trey Young tossed up a half-court alley-oop to him, which he just guided into the basket as time expired to defeat the Raptors, which will always make me happy. And as the Raptors approach, I hope more than anything for victories against these two teams, basically. Now, after tonight's game, Atlanta slides back into a spot where if the playoffs were to start today, the Cavaliers would see them in the first round. They went from the fourth seed, careening all the way to sixth. And shockingly, sitting below the Cavs as the fourth best team in the East right now, the Indiana Pacers, who everybody thought would pack it in and just tank this season. And they've been far better than anybody expected. So at the moment, six and seven is the Hawks and the Raptors, both teams, which I would delight in knocking out of the postseason if it came to that. I can respect a guy like Giannis who just smashes his body into you and forces the whistle, but the little grabs and the clutches and the flopping, that's the type of thing that I have a lot harder time with. I didn't have to get too worked up tonight because the Cavs basically the whole game were playing from the lead, but there was a couple plays in succession in the third quarter where... Trey Young armbarred 
Isaac Okoro, and somehow Isaac got the foul. And then Okongwu shoved Osman in the back. Osman tried to tie him up so he couldn't get a shot off, and Okongwu acted as if he got hit in the face. They reviewed it for a flagrant, but it was pretty obvious acting, and he just went to the line for a personal foul, which that wasn't even really warranted probably, but this game was ugly all around. Turnovers, tons of whistles, just sloppy, and not the most fluid watch. Okongwu was great. It's only a matter of time until Capella's out of the picture and he assumes the full-time role. But you have to feel pretty good as a Hawks fan, at least about the strength of your bench. In a night where Murray doesn't no-show, they got serviceable performances from guys who should assume larger roles as the course of the season goes by, but definitely going into next year. A huge move would be definitely to offload Collins somehow, who's making $25 million a season and just seems like a luxury at this point. They have serviceable depth with DeAndre Hunter and Jalen Johnson and, of course, A.J. Griffin. I don't think they need Collins. He made some confounding plays today. There's times where I feel like he's just not very good. He's good statistically speaking, but he's just not as impactful on winning as one would think that he should be with those kind of numbers he's put up in the past. And the rumors will only heat up as A.J. Griffin continues to play like this. He's forcing their hand in some sense to carve out a more substantial role for him. He played 36 minutes tonight, and he seems to have taken hold of the starting small forward position on the Atlanta Hawks, at least while DeAndre Hunter is out. And if Collins gets moved, we could see him stay in that starting lineup, depending on what Collins brings back. But there has been a lot of talk about perhaps moving John Collins. He's regressed in terms of offensive contributions. One of the steals of the middle of the first round has to be A.J. Griffin, and he was a guy who offensively, coming out of Duke, was said to be a very polished player, but injury concerns are what caused him to slip amongst a lot of people. But it is funny to think that the Cavaliers had the opportunity to take him when they took Ochai Abaji, and perhaps he would have been traded to Utah anyway, so it might be irrelevant. But certainly the Hawks seem to have found a very good player, and he contributed 17 points on 7 for 11 from the field, and Three for six from outside tonight with a few steals uh, to chime in there on the defensive end. So good night from the Hawks in the sense that they have some promising people working their way into the rotation. Jalen Johnson chipped in with eight points on three for four from the floor. Two young guys whose roles only look to increase. But you have to feel pretty good if you're a Cleveland Cavs fan tonight because it is becoming the norm for the backcourt to thrive here. Just look at the past several games for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Garland, during this three-game homestand, is averaging 31-7 and on truly insane splits. 62% from the floor, 47% from three, and 91 from the line. That's a 75% true shooting percentage, which is otherworldly. You crack 65, you're amongst the truly elite of the NBA. And of course, I'm giving you a three-game sample. There's actually three Cavaliers that crack 70%, over this three-game stretch, that being Osman, Jared Allen, and Darius Garland. Now, one thing I should point out in that three-game stretch is one particular player didn't even crack 16%, and that is our injured starting small forward for much of the season, Karis LeVert. He's in a contract year. By all accounts, he's done what we've asked him to do. I thought he's made a solid impact defensively and done some good creation, He's not taking tons of shots, so even though he's not shooting particularly well, just 48% true shooting percentage, which is some of the worst of his career. Even last season, he was 
low 50s to mid 50s. He, he's never gone below 50%. So it's only a 16-game sample, but not a good offensive start, despite a prolific 41-point scoring night in there that's propping it up even further. He's not killing us on high volume. He's trying defensively, and he's at that age where I don't know how much of a payday we can really expect him to get. Now, I would not be surprised if the Cavs come to terms on some sort of extension just due to the general vibes of the team if he agrees to something reasonable. But at this point in the season, you have to think his play doesn't even warrant much more than maybe $12 million a season. If we're not giving Sexton $15 million at 23 years old doing what he was doing, how could you possibly argue that Karis LeVert should get some sort of multiple-year long-term deal? If, if he got three for 45, that would be a massive win for him. But I think we're looking at more like a three for 30 to 35 type contract, the way that he's playing right now. And especially considering that there's two or three options outside of him who perhaps are outplaying him at his own position and weren't even drafted players. As Stevens and Osman show some consistency, assuming that they do, we're going to see more and more trade conversations brought up especially if there's no resolution on an extension. I would not put it past the Cavs to do what they did with Rubio with Levert this season. They took an expiring Rubio and turned him into two years at least worth of Levert. They could take an expiring Levert and turn him into some other longer-term questionable money, but perhaps a better roster fit. Because this is not a team that's going to be a player really in free agency. They don't have tons of free dollars. They've used most of their picks. They don't have a lot of draft capital outside of second round picks now to deal so if they're going to improve their roster they can't really afford to let a guy like Levert go off the books unless there's a robust sign and trade market for him which there isn't so they may use him in some sort of money balancing move at the deadline unless his play turns around and I'm certainly I'm all open for that I know at times on this podcast it seems like I probably have preferential people but I don't really on the wing. What I prefer is consistency. I don't even need greatness. So it is frustrating to see nothing out of a coral for long stretches or huge night, nothing night out of Osman or Levert, 41 points, then zero points. That's frustrating. I think that's why I like Stevens and Wade as much as I do this season, because it's not like you need a lot of creation out of that fifth starter role or even the first guy off the bench role, but you do want consistency and you do want guys who aren't a liability on one end of the floor or the other and I think there's a pretty solid balance between Stevens and Wade of being guys who can be a positive impact on both ends of the floor you don't need 20 points a game out of either of those guys but if they can give you 10 points on good percentages and just open up the floor a little bit or add something defensively that's a win I don't care if they're big names I'm past that point as this team turns towards contention. There's a distinct possibility that if Stevens continues to play as solid as he has since being inserted in the starting lineup, and Dean Wade plays well when he comes back, between those two and Osman, who's on a tear, two 20-point games in a row after an absolute clunker, now he's a complete wild card. You don't know night to night what you're going to get out of him, but he's a confidence player. And he's 100% the best wing in transition, one of the best transition players on the team. He's big enough to finish around the rim, something Okoro can't do. 
he's fast enough to push the pace in a way that really only Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are equipped to do outside of him. So for all of the negatives he brings on the defensive end, Osman is light years ahead of most of the players on this roster in terms of getting easy buckets in transition. And his finishing around the rim has been excellent these last couple of games. And I said it tonight on Twitter at Fear the Fro Pod, but I'm tired of hearing this narrative about, well, we need to bring in Jay Crowder as if that's some sort of solution where we're bringing in someone who is hands down much better than the wing options we have. He's not in any capacity. Osman this season is shooting close to 39% on three-pointers. He's not a bad three-point shooter. He's also much faster, much younger, much hungrier, and there's zero risk of him being some sort of malcontent trying to get a payday who gets upset if he doesn't have a defined role. There is a very real risk that one, Jay Crowder is washed. He's not exactly a young player and he hasn't been playing regularly because when they refused to extend him before his contract was up, he came to an agreement with the Suns where he would stay away from the team altogether. That makes me question multiple things. One, his intelligence. He wants to be paid, he's old, and there'll be no sample of work unless they trade him. Two, it makes me question his priorities. The Phoenix Suns are one of the best teams in the league. And because he's not starting, or because they wouldn't pay him, whatever it is you want to believe, maybe a little of column A, little of column B, he just removed himself from the situation. And for too long now, I've seen him get credit in Miami, and then in Phoenix, as those teams have risen. But they've risen on the quality of their youth, And he's just co-opted that glory. The Cavs have an incredible chemistry right now. One that can be delicate, though. It doesn't take much of anything to change something. Just look at Kevin Love and the differences we've seen in him year to year. You run the risk of bringing Jay Crowder in and his desire to get paid and showcase disrupting everything. And is he enough of an upgrade on the wing? I don't even think he's an upgrade, period. But I certainly don't think, even if he proved to have a ton left in the tank, The leap between what Osmond or Stevens gives and him is simply not enough to justify giving anything for him. If they compensated the Cavs to take him, I would have to give it a second thought. It would depend on the exact scenario in which he would join the roster. And even then, I would loathe every second of it because I hate him with a passion. Now, before we move on to the Blazers, there is a tie-in between malcontent bench players, Jay Crowder, transition, to Montrez Harrell. By now, I'm sure you've seen it online. Montrez and Giannis got into it following the game between the Bucks and the Sixers, in which the Sixers won, and Giannis shot just 4 for 15 from the free throw line. Now, that was the worst performance at the line of his career, and understandably, after the game, he felt like he should get some extra work in. So he returned to the floor and tried to shoot free throws. But that's where the problem began, because Montrez Harrell did not want to share the court with Giannis. He took the ball from Giannis during his free throw shooting and told him to get out of here, refused to give it back. Giannis said, why don't we work in together? And he said, no, get the hell out of here. This isn't Milwaukee. So Giannis retreats to the locker room, doesn't get in an altercation with Montrez, but just gets more balls, comes out. But when he returns to the free throw line, arena workers have positioned a ladder in front of the basket where they're preparing to either take down the hoop or take down video equipment on the hoop some sort of function of their duties. Giannis pushes the ladder off to the side, says, let me shoot. They say, no. They return the ladder in front, and Giannis more aggressively takes it now and shoves it forcefully out of the way. It falls over, crashing to the floor. Fortunately, doesn't hit anyone. But all this is captured on video by fans in the arena. 
And it's used to show that, look, Giannis isn't humble. See, this is what he's really like when the cameras aren't rolling. Look at him abusing the workers. And I agree, it's a bad look, shoving the ladder down. But when you see all the precursor to that, Montrezl Harrell acting like a child and stealing his basketball and refusing to give it back and not being willing to share the floor, that part is all a terrible look for Montrez. I will say this in Montrez's defense. If he's unwilling to share the court, which I think is childish, if I'm going to side with someone in that scenario, I've heard people make the argument that, well, Giannis is an MVP. He should be able to be out there shooting and Trez should clear out. He's a bum. Yes, I agree. Montrez is a bum. He got in to Cavs Twitter earlier this year in the preseason, calling them all a bunch of bums and saying he owned the team. Meanwhile, he scored like 12 points in a preseason game where we had pulled everyone and he was playing against the end of the roster guys who didn't even make the team. But that's neither here nor there. You can find that on Twitter. I believe it's at Cleveland Optimist or Optimistic. He had it during the preseason, which I thought was funny. Uh, and I just remember that for some reason. But back to this particular story. I'm of the mindset that Trez is the one who needs the work and it's Trez's home arena. So if he's unwilling to share, then yes. Giannis should clear off the court. And it's pretty much a no-win situation for him there. Because if he stomps Montrez, he's a bully beating up some bench bum in their own home arena. If he takes it, it just empowers Montrez to continue his nonsense where he thinks he's a tough guy. I don't hold it against Giannis, honestly. I would rather have an emotional attack of an inanimate object, like a ladder, and some of the nonsense that we've seen out of Kyrie and Jalen or Kyrie Light at this point, firing off a tweet from the hip supporting an anti-Semitic hate group and then saying, oh no, I thought they were a fraternity. It was a step in fraternity, wasn't it? How many step in fraternities have hundreds upon hundreds of middle-aged men who, by the way, are not stepping. They're just shouting and handing out flyers that have gotten them designated as a hate group. Now I get Jalen Brown, maybe he honestly had no idea. Maybe his lack of glasses made it impossible for him to read the giant t-shirts that said Israel United in Christ. That's fair. My eyesight sucks too. But this is just reinforcing the problem of firing off a tweet to a massive audience without doing any of the research. It's Kyrie all over again. It's just a microcosm of what we just saw. Maybe some of the context clues, like the lack of stepping, the fact that most of them seem to be shouting, So I'm sure as we head towards a new contract and a new CBA that with the steady hand and leadership of Kyrie and Jalen Brown, there definitely is a 0% chance that some reactionary tweet gets fired off, which causes division between both sides and makes it even more difficult for basketball to continue without a stoppage. I'm sure there'll be no wrinkles in the future because these two guys are just so open-minded. They're not natural contrarians who just push back against the media needlessly. But I think that's enough time on Jalen Brown. Let's get back to the Cavs. Let's look ahead to the Portland game. Now, Portland is a team that started out extremely hot, winning their first four games of the season, sitting atop the Western Conference for much of the year. But they are now on a stretch where they've lost four of their last five. Their best player, Damian Lillard, is out with yet another injury. He missed four games earlier in the season, and he's now down with a right calf strain yet again. He says it's not as bad as the initial one, so he doesn't expect to be out as long. 
but they've gone from the top of the Western Conference all the way down to a tie for sixth amongst the Memphis Grizzlies and the LA Clippers, who are playing as I record this right now, probably going to win uh, based on what the score is looking like right now. So they could be sitting at eighth at the end of the evening, and they come into Cleveland in the midst of a four-game road trip in which they lost the first one tonight to the Milwaukee Bucks, uphill battle ahead of them against Cleveland, who is largely healthy, minus Levert and Wade, and they're missing Damian Lillard. Now, in his absence, Shaden Sharp, a rookie I alluded to earlier, has been getting much more run. But he has shown flashes of being an exceptionally efficient player. Going into the evening tonight, he was averaging just 10 points and 3 rebounds, but he was doing it on 53-47 splits. A rare combination of both a good-looking shot and also a lot of athleticism and size. A good dunker, somebody who's a good straight-line driver to the basket. He doesn't have much of a handle. There's moments where it looks like it takes him a little bit too long to get into his shot. For a guy who played no college basketball, but was the number one recruit in the 2023 class before reclassifying, came to Kentucky in the spring of 2022, only to find out that he was in fact eligible for the 2022 draft, and so he left without ever playing. That was the same scenario for Enos Cantor in some ways, and that didn't prevent him from having a pretty long NBA career before he turned into a full-on LeBron hater. Anyway, back to Shane Sharp. So he could be one of those guys who benefited from sliding to eight in the draft because nobody had really got a chance to see him, and this is a chance for him to really break out a bit in Damian Lillard's absence. That, along with the addition of Jeremy Grant, which has been huge, he's been having his most efficient season in quite a while, averaging 20-plus points, five rebounds, and splits of nearly 50 and 50. He was 48-48 coming into the evening. He has a game winner against Phoenix this year. He scored 37 against the Mavs. And there was an interesting story in The Athletic about Damian's recruitment of Jeremy Grant and how it began in 2021 with Team USA. And it took a full season before it came to fruition, but he has proven to be exactly what they needed in helping take a defense that over the past three seasons has finished near dead last in the league. 27th, 29th, 29th, and they have jumped up to a top 10 defense. A much better team, one that's getting to the free throw line pretty aggressively over the course of this early season. So they're slipping a bit over the course of their last 10. They're just 5-5. Five and five. They're on a three-game losing streak as we sit right now, as opposed to the Cavs' three-game winning streak, but not a team that should be overlooked because Josh Hart, valuable addition. Most people thought that giving up Norman Powell for next to nothing from the Clippers was a terrible trade, but I will say Josh Hart came in on a much more favorable contract, and he has perhaps been equally impactful. Nurkic has been good at moments. Drew Eubanks, an excellent backup center, a very tough guy tonight watching him against the Bucks. He got into it with Serge Ibaka, and he held his own. He's tough. He's a tough backup center. At times, I think I even prefer him to Nurk. Having him behind Nurk is definitely a luxury because they've been thin in the front court over the past several seasons. Simons has emerged 23-4-3 from him in 15 games this year, but they still have Shaden. They have Justice Winslow, who's a bigger body, a solid defender. He'll be able to throw different looks at Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. So do I like our chances of winning? Absolutely. But they're going to be hungry for a win after suffering a pretty close defeat to the Bucks. They hung in most of the game and then just 
fell out at the end. So we've got a fun stretch coming up here. We have a chance to close out this home stretch undefeated on Wednesday. Then it's off to Milwaukee on Friday, an easy one against the Pistons on Sunday, and then the rematch against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto next Monday, a game I think we all look forward to. And hopefully we're completely healthy, and I don't care if they are because they tried to take Darius Garland's eye those fucking monsters. It made my day to watch Scotty Barnes miss that layup and blow the game the other night. All hell Mobley. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you want to put a rating up, I wouldn't object. And if you have mailbag questions, I'll get to one of those in an upcoming episode. I'm starting to get more emails at bob at fropod.com. So feel free. If there's something you want discussed on the pod, let me know. Thank you very much. Back with more on the next podcast. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.